Okay, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here for the 400th time to lead you through these hard times. That, uh, yes, with the 400th episode of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here just days after the conclusion of the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble to break down all the fallout from WWE's first major show of the year to discuss the quick build to WWE Elimination Chamber and book the damn territory for WWE WrestleMania 39. This is indeed a special episode of your favorite wrestling podcast because it is indeed the 400th time we are sitting down to talk professional wrestling and give you the performance enhancing audio that you need. But it would not be an edition of Getting Over if we did not begin the show as we always do with a reminder that this podcast is so please, folks, help us celebrate this special occasion. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, for vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show and tell them why they should subscribe. Because if you do we will read your five-star review right here on the podcast. And wouldn't you know it, we have two new five-star reviews to go over today. First, from Superman4344. The headline is top five stars, a force of a podcast, knowledge, opinions, dissections, all money. Short but sweet, Superman. We appreciate it. And secondly, truly the best wrestling podcast from SuJBP, five stars. I started listening to this podcast at its beginning and just returned after taking a small break from wrestling in 2022, I realized I never left a rating. Five stars in the best wrestling podcast, no doubt. The host, Adam and Chris, both have great balanced takes on wrestling content, no matter the company, which is rare these days. They both have a nice vibe and just feel like they are passionate about some wrestling and want to have fun. They break down the shows and wrestling news stories really well. Their personal input only ever adds to the breakdown. I'm happy to be back and listening once again. Don't miss out. Thank you so much, Sujay BP. Appreciate very much that review. Let me also remind you all at the onset of the show to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, and highlights, but so you can participate in polls and our live shows on Twitter spaces. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome to the show. As some of you may have already realized, this is indeed episode 400, and as promised, we are debuting a new audio platform here that hopefully you are all enjoying. We have a new microphone, a new mixing machine, I guess is the best way to put it. It's very podcast specific. All of this from contributions that you are getting overheads made to the show. There are two more pieces of equipment on the way, one is a microphone arm. Another is a device that will allow me to put the sound drops directly into the show. That is going to sound incredible. Unfortunately, for some reason, despite 99.9% .9 of my Amazon deliveries historically saying they'll take seven to 10 days, but arriving in three or four, this one is now 
past 10 days. I've been waiting for this. We specifically decided to delay the debut of all this new equipment until episode 400. And yet some of it still has not arrived. But nevertheless, I hope everyone is enjoying what has already an improved sound quality. It's going to get even better when the sound drops go native right into your ear holes coming up soon. But Chris, welcome to the show. It is absolutely wild that we have now done 400 episodes of this podcast. You have been here for the vast majority of them. So it's a happy anniversary for me. I don't have your exact number, but let's just say it's a happy anniversary for you as well. Yeah, good to be here. Appreciate those uh, very nice five-star ratings. You sound great with the new mic and everything. That's and right. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been here for eh, maybe probably about two-thirds of those. I, you know, I typically don't do this. It has to be at least NXT, two-thirds. The NXT uh, AW one, but uh, man, this is wild. I remember when we started, it was pandemic, right before pandemic WrestleMania. Uh, you reached out via DM, said you were starting a new podcast, wanted to kind of have uh, a mix of, of co-hosts. And before we knew it, uh, we were off and running in the uh, one of the one of the most down eras of wrestling with the Thunderdome. And here we are after a great uh, Royal Rumble heading into an exciting WrestleMania. And off we go. We, we really were. We took on wrestling at its low point. And you could say yeah. both from WWE itself creatively, the industry as a whole, given the pandemic and everything that was happening. And sure, AEW had just kind of come onto the scene. But even that, like during the pandemic, it, you didn't really feel like it was going to be this massive thing, which, of course, it has become really a clear number two wrestling product in the United States. But we started again, really at the like the lowest possible point of professional wrestling. And now we have stuck it out all this time. Chris, Raw's ratings are exploding. SmackDown's ratings are exploding. Royal Rumble just did record numbers for WWE and not record numbers where it's like up 5% over their prior average. They saw 50 to 150% gains in a variety of different categories that are just blowing things out of the water for them uh, from a business standpoint. Now, we aren't here to champion WWE's business, but... The more people that are watching wrestling means the more possible listeners for this show. Our uh, ratings, if you will, our listenership, our downloads are up. Our Royal Rumble Ultimate Preview is the number 10 most listened to episode of all time for the podcast. The instant analysis is already in the top 10. It's at number nine, and it's probably going to keep climbing. I mean, we're talking about WrestleMania numbers for the Royal Rumble coming out of this past weekend. So it's great to feel wrestling surging upward. It's great to feel the Getting Over Wrestling podcast surging upward. And let me say one more time before we get into today's show, none of this is possible. None of this is happening without you, our getting overheads, our listeners. Not just the fact that the podcast exists, but you literally contributed to all of the upgrades that we are bringing to the show. You contributed to us being able to host the show on a platform. That way we can deliver it to you on a weekly, usually bi or sometimes tri-weekly basis. It is because of you that we are doing this show. We are imminently grateful. We appreciate it. And really, Chris, that's about all I have to say because we have a loaded show ahead for everyone. We have to talk Royal Rumble fallout as promised. We're going to go over some things in a second look type of scenario that we perhaps missed on our WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis episode. We're going to discuss the early build to WWE Elimination Chamber, which I think is just over three weeks away. And 
WrestleMania is only like 62, 61 days away at this point. So we're going to book the damn territory for WrestleMania 39 as well. Point being, this is an absolutely loaded show, and it just so happens to be the 400th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as well. Yep. Also, less than three weeks from Elimination Chamber, February 18th. That is wild. That is very, very quick. All right, so the way this show is going to go, just to lay it out for everyone, we are going to do a WWE Royal Rumble second look. Chris and I both watched the show a second time. A number of notes, thoughts, and comments that didn't fit into our 90-minute instant analysis podcast, which, by the way, if you have not heard that show, I'm not necessarily saying you should pause this show, go back and listen to that one in totality, And then restart this one. But you may want to because you're going to want to hear our entire takes on everything that happened in the Royal Rumble. This is just kind of extra stuff that we noticed and wanted to talk about that we perhaps didn't get enough time to spend on during that instant analysis episode. So that's how we're going to start the show. Then we're going to get into the main event, which is the fallout from the Royal Rumble. What happened on Raw Monday night and booking the road to WrestleMania 39. Of course, after that, we will have the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we discuss everything else that happened on Raw and SmackDown this week. And we're going to debut a new segment at the end of the show. We will save that as a surprise for later. But Chris, let's kick things off, as promised, with the 2023 WWE Royal Rumble second look. One thing we did not discuss on the instant analysis was the set. And I just loved the simplicity of what we got, which is how WWE has mostly treated the Royal Rumble in recent years, doing it at baseball stadiums previously. And they did something very similar with SummerSlam in 2022. The lights above and behind the ring were super unique. And it was just a really nice aesthetic change compared to that huge ass screen that we get on weekly TV and the major stages that we get for WrestleMania and really only the crown jewel type of shows now. The one change I might make is figuring out a way to shorten the walkway because it feels like it gets longer and longer every time they do one of these events. And it just takes people a really long time to get to the ring. It also kind of screws with the camera shots because like, for example, uh, Roman Reigns and the bloodline at the end of the Royal Rumble, they had to stop before they went around the bend. So you couldn't see a screen behind them, but they did that so that the camera could go back and forth between them and the ring. If they can fix the walkway just somehow, I don't exactly know the best way to do it, then it would be perfect. But overall, my point is I love the simplicity of the entire thing. You know, I was watching a bunch of Royal Rumbles last week leading up to the show. I always like to do that. And it's always a reminder of, man, I really just don't like that they have the same set for pay-per-views that they have for TV. It all feels the same. It doesn't feel special. The, dip, the, the, the the outlier is when they do the stadium shows, when you do Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, Clash of the Castle. And it's pretty clear that the strategy is WrestleMania gets a big set, Crown Jewel gets a somewhat big set, and then everything else is just a walkway. And that's like, it's it's okay. I still would rather just have a big set. I just I I would like Me to have too. a big set, lots of lights, all stuff. If, if that was at all possible, I just would prefer that. Losing that shoot a decade ago, almost at this point, was I think one of the biggest things. That just, things lose a bit of personal touch. Oh, I remember that set from that pay per view. I remember mm-hmm. King of the Ring two thousand two, a backlash with the swing TLC, like that. The, the, all the yeah, ladders hanging from the, the ceiling and the chairs. Yeah, yeah. I just in, I just in general miss that, but you know, stadium shows 
you know, you want to get a lot of people in. I get it. It's fine. My biggest issue with the entrances was not necessarily the length, but the camera positioning mm-hmm. of whenever someone came out of the tunnel for the rumbles or for other matches, the camera was so far back that you didn't get as it wasn't as impactful when someone came out for the rumble because they were far away eventually walked up to the camera. I wish the camera had been right on them up front to make it feel bigger, especially when the women's rumble happens. We don't really know a lot of their entrance music. So like entrance music would hit, they'd show a, a zoomed out shot of the crowd. You don't know who the song is. You kind of kind of look up at the screen to see whose name is on the thing. And the screen's uh, not just, big enough where it's easy to see the name on the screen. Yeah, you know. yeah. So yeah. just if there was some other way to produce that where music hits, uh, it, it, uh, just an easier way to identify people coming out of the rumble and cameras a bit closer. That just kind of bothered me in the moment. For sure. Now, moving over to commentary, watching the show back, dude, I maintain what I said on the instant analysis because you and I disagreed about the commentary. I, I, I listened back. I was like, maybe I missed something. Maybe I was just excited. And Chris is right. I can't get there with you. I thought commentary was great all night. I'm shocked that you didn't agree. I thought it was a really strong mix of play by play emotion knowledge they laid out for the entire final 15 minutes at the end of the show they hit all the right notes and big moments during other parts of the show michael cole was exceptional and he's just fully found himself now that he's had six months Mm -hmm. working without being force-fed lines and beyond all of that if you remember we briefly questioned whether the pat mcafee return was a legitimate surprise well they confirmed monday on pat's show Cole and Corey Graves had no idea McAfee would be on commentary, and it was indeed a shocker. Their reactions were 100% authentic at the start of the Royal Rumble, and Pat even said it wasn't decided until late in the week that he would be on that show. That's wild. I mean, just to think about the preparation that commentators do going into that, obviously they know certain things are going to happen. Um, I'm sure Cole and Graves went over a lot together to, to just throw Pat McAfee in there on top of that. It had to be on the second or uh, third biggest show of the year, too. Yeah, which is why, again, I didn't think commentary was bad. And in many moments, I thought they were great. I just there were there were certain moments, especially in the Rumble matches, where it felt like they were all, especially Corey and Pat, were kind of talking over each other a lot. And it just kind of lost track a little bit. But overall, you know, good to see McAfee back. I don't think his new entrance music is still really hitting. I still kind of wish they could do seven nation army, but it is what it is. And this will be interesting going forward on SmackDown because we haven't really had Cole and McAfee under triple H's direction for very long. Most of the Cole McAfee was under Vince. So it'll be interesting to see how it continues going forward. Well, to be clear, there's no guarantee that he's going to be on SmackDown this Friday or going forward. I, I, I did watch McAfee show and Cole kind of brought up, hey, you know, a lot of people are wondering what this means for you. And really it was, I don't know. So Mm. it might be a situation where he only does pay-per-views and premium live events. I mean, I have no doubt he'll be on commentary for WrestleMania, particularly if he's not wrestling at WrestleMania. Uh, But it doesn't seem like he's coming back to be on SmackDown weekly, at least not immediately. If it does happen, maybe he slides in in a three-man booth with Wade Barrett. You know, let's not forget... Cole and Wade, they're doing a really good job on SmackDown right now. It's not not the same as Cole and McAfee, but Wade Barrett, I mean, I like him more than Corey Graves. He's the best color commentator in WWE right now. 
No, I mean, I, mean I, I said a couple weeks ago, I would almost move Corey Graves to play-by-play on Raw and put Wade Barrett with him. Absolutely. And to, to yeah. another point, Kevin Patrick was very good on the kickoff show beforehand. He, he was. very. Yes. He is very good in that role, and we've always said that, even if we don't think his play-by-play Kevin play Patrick, so, that, that's, the, that's the thing with Kevin Patrick. He's good in everything he does except play-by-play mm-hmm. for wrestling. Yeah. Now, he does play-by-play. I think for Atlanta FC in the MLS or something like that. And I, and, I was and like, he, does I got, main, he did main event. He did main event before Raw too. Sure. But, but I'm saying wrestling play by play in general. He just, he isn't very good, but I, I went back and listened to some clips on YouTube of him doing soccer and he's totally fine. Like there's just something about him and wrestling play by play, which doesn't work. It's unfortunate. You know, that's not really the topic that we're discussing right now. He was better on raw. He does seem to be improving, but it's just, like minor improvements that aren't to the level of someone who you need to call raw 30 or to possibly heaven forbid, fill in at a pay-per-view uh, or be really the voice of raw every single week. So whatever, we'll get mm-hmm. back to Kevin Patrick at another time. Another topic we didn't touch at all on the instant analysis was the length of this show. Usually you and I are really quick to point out when a WWE show goes long or our frustration at the length of basically every AEW pay-per-view. But WWE for the last three years, better part of the last three years, has probably averaged like three hours flat. There's been shows that have come under that mark, slightly above. This show went 4.07. It ended after midnight on the East Coast. And other than me looking at the clock at the start of that stupid, awful concert, I never noticed or cared about the length of the show because that's how entertaining it was. Me neither. I mean, there was only five matches. You had two rumbles go more than an hour and you had two singles matches go seven minutes or less. So it's not like it was match after match after match and it's, it's weighing on you. And the rumbles move quick because they really did people coming in. They never feel long. So I, yeah, if you, you know, you had, not only did you have the concert, but you had to take off the ropes. You had to redo the ring to do that and stuff like that. There were things you could cut, take out the concert, and you're looking at probably a sub four hour show. And that's yeah, what they've 345, done. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what they've done for for WrestleMania the last uh, two years. It's about a four hour show each night. And so I, I think that's probably as long as they generally want to go. And and I think that works. And I, I know some people were saying, hey, you know, people complain about AW shows being too long. Uh, as well, and and that is true, and we we've said that as well. But that's the also AEW like thir- shows, though they're Those five hours match. long. They're yeah. five hours. They're thirteen match cards. You know that right. that's that's the that that's why it was a little bit different this time around. And there's no time to breathe on those cards because it's match after match after match. WWE, there's uh, sometimes backstage segments. There wasn't you know this time around. Uh, but there's video yes. packages. You can go up and go to the bathroom, walk the dog. Like you you have a little bit of time to like move around. With AEW, you can't. You're literally stuck in your couch for five straight hours, and some of it's great, obviously, and some of it's not. And it's really difficult to sit through a five-hour show, even though they only do four, technically maybe five, this past year with Forbidden Door, pay-per-views a year. They still don't need to be five hours. It's just just, crazy. Uh, All right, let's move to the next topic here, the press conference after the Royal Rumble. We're going to go back and talk about the Men's Royal Rumble in the main event. But I did want to briefly mention the press conference. We didn't touch on it during the incident analysis. Cody was phenomenal. He really stepped into like a face of WWE role here. Like I could see the vision for the first time. He played to the sponsors, the media, even Triple H a little bit. And Cody got legitimately emotional 
talking about winning the Rumble being the apex of his career, like at least to this point, more so than all in and everything else he's accomplished. This is definitely worth a watch, the entire press conference for anyone who might be interested, but at least see Cody. You can skip the rest. There's really not much to be gained. Cody, it's just really interesting to see him behind the mic in that setting and how well it came off and how natural he was representing WWE. He's always good at giving you great sound bites as well. Like he had the line about how he, you know, Triple H, you know, when he sees the last name of Rhodes, he doesn't want, I don't want Triple H to look at me and see my father. I want him to see me, you know, like that, that, mm-hmm. that was part he, he got emotional about. Um, and he, he cracks jokes, you know, he, he, like you said, he really plays that face of the company well. And I'm sure there's, He's working you a bit in there as well, but that's why sure. it's so good. I mean, I, it was Dan O'Brien who said Cody Rhodes taught me to, how to lie in professional wrestling. So like, but that that's that's why he's in that role. He the, the second he came back, even going back to last year's Mania, like he has prepared himself to be in this spot, and you can see that in the press conference as well. Now you had other thoughts on the press conference, correct? Yeah, just I thought for the most part the questions were horrible. <laughs> and they were look, yeah. look, some of them, look, you know, when Triple H was up, they mostly called on either in-house WWE people or kind of favorable people. And, and you ask what you ask. And that's that's fine. But, you know, like I would have liked somebody to ask Cody, be like, hey, what do you think about the reaction Sammy's getting and what people think about him? Or, or in again, the opportunity wasn't there, but really would have liked someone to ask Triple H kind of, hey, you know, the future of the company has been up in the air. Do you, do you have any? comment on that you know like i i know a lot of these wrestling media people aren't you know real reporters or whatever some of them are and some other mask of questions and we've seen the same thing happen in the aw press conferences which i think are even worse because that's truly open ask tony khan everything you it is want and it's like you can ask difficult questions not even difficult questions but noteworthy questions in a newsworthy polite yeah newsworthy questions in a polite way and get a good answer or no comment. And, and that's fine. Like I, like when I interviewed triple H last year for the athletic, I asked him about AEW. I asked him about losing talent. I asked him about those things. And he, he's totally fine in that scenario. He gave me questions and I think he kind of respected that you were willing to ask that kind of thing. And so just not that you have to grill triple H or Cody Rhodes or anything on this stuff. I just thought the press conference was largely a, a, a joke and um, I was hoping for more. And the same thing has played out with AEW press conferences as well. Yeah, you want more substance, but you you know you do have to remember you and I look at it and evaluate it from a totally different scope than most people who are watching it at least, right? It, you know, WWE mm-hmm. the way that they are publicizing it and now this time they put it in the same feed as the Royal Rumble. Yep. So they really wanted you to stay tuned and watch it and it started as as soon as they finished that real that uh video package recap after the show, which by the way, is something WWE has not done in years. And I was so great to see them bring it I back it. at the end of a pay-per-view. That was yeah. great. But they went immediately from that into the press conference, which meant they wanted you to see it. So I do give them a little bit of a break. But again, the way you and I look at it, the lens through which we look at it is different than everyone else. Because you and I, and I'm not, when I say this, I am not at all trying to disparage Anyone who was there, anyone who works in wrestling media, but you and I have a different level of experience when it comes to journalism and interviewing people and navigating teams, franchises, coaches, 
players, athletes making millions upon millions of dollars. And we don't operate in a world of dirt sheets. And in the wrestling media and, and the journalism game for wrestling, it's just completely different. These people are so worried because there's such a finite number of people in these positions. They're so worried about getting on their bad side that they refuse to ask some really noteworthy and important questions that need to be asked in key situations. You're a thousand percent correct. The one question that Cody needed to be asked was, how do you feel that the Royal Rumble this year, the Men's Royal Rumble, opened the show instead of closed it and that Sami Zayn got such a massive response? Are you concerned at all that fans may not receive you well as the challenger to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? Those are probably two questions in there. You could combine it into one. That's something you have to ask Cody. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure at some point on this road to WrestleMania, especially if Sammy keeps getting the reactions that he's getting, Cody will be asked it by someone. But Mm -hmm. that should be asked in the moment. It's something that if he was sitting down with us today, we would ask him about. And hopefully he would give us a really good answer. He'd probably say, no, I'm not concerned at all. You know, I deserve this spot. I earned it. And I think fans are behind me. Boom. Done. How easy is that? But it's a question that should be asked. So you're a thousand percent right. I think it frustrates you and I more than it does most fans. That's what I'm trying to get. At. Yeah, that's right. And, and by the way, Ariel Hawani asked that same question to Sami Zayn. You know, on the on the interview he did for PT Sports. So it's like, but he asked you know, it to Sammy, asked, not Cody. Yes, he asked it to the right. you know the and, other and, person. And, yeah, yes, and that's on BT Sports, not on Peacock, it's not on a WWE sanctioned event. Right. I, I get it's a little bit different situation. My biggest thing is just like, man, like. You're given this rare opportunity. I would just feel like I let myself down if I didn't ask a question that could make news. Like that's that's right. the fun of it, you know. Like like you're, you you we write up you write about rumors and and all this stuff all the time. It's like man, this is the opportunity to, to do something. And again, to ask in a polite way. You don't need to be like you don't need to attack somebody. You don't need to grill them or something like that. Just like you can ask it in a friendly way that generates a response that that would create some news. And it's like, man, that's just, that's just that opportunity. So that was just my only thought. You just need to remember. That's also the mindset that we, when we, when we get those opportunities, we look at it from, okay, what can we ask that is going to generate a headline or be interesting to our readers? They're looking at it from a different perspective. They're looking at it from how can we make them happy with the questions that we're asking for the most part, not everyone does it. There were a couple really good questions in there. Don't get me wrong. And there, and there are when triple H does his press conferences, uh, or did his uh, teleconferences ahead of NXT events. And when Shawn Michaels does his now, there are good questions asked. I- I'm not yes. saying that no one does their job. It's just we wish it was more and more consistent and similar to the way you and I experience sports press conferences that we have sat in and interviews that we've done individually. And And look, that's why when we get our interview opportunities with WWE talent, with wrestling talent, I try not to ask the boilerplate plate questions. I try to ask things that are somewhat intriguing, that get interesting responses, and also things that fans just want to know. But it also depends on the person. Some of them can be a little bit cagey. If you listen back, for example, to my interview with Austin Theory, at the beginning, he's giving me real kind of like kayfabe answers, and then eventually you break them down a little bit, and he starts getting real and telling you things that you actually want to know. And that's part of our job as journalists when we interview people or when we ask questions to do so that things that are thought-provoking and generate responses that are interesting to our readers and our listeners. So, you know, again, was the press conference incredible? No, but I would watch the Cody part if I was a fan, right? Yep, agree. 
Okay, so let's talk about the Men's Royal Rumble, the main event of the Royal Rumble, and then we will go ahead and get on with the show. For the Men's Royal Rumble, Chris, I have a number of thoughts here. I'll do a, like a quick pause after each one. Please, you know, insert any takes that you might have. If not, I'll just kind of keep going. Uh, I thought it was such a smart idea to start with Gunther and Sheamus. The crowd pop when Sheamus entered and they realized what was happening, what they were basically <laughs> getting for free, even though it was two minutes of it, was enormous. There seems to be this momentum toward Gunther versus Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. But I maintain Sheamus should have that spot or at absolute worst, it should be a triple threat. Yeah. I mean, you could do that too. Uh, you know, she they even said when Sheamus came out, hey, Sheamus fought Gunther at Clash of the Castle. Many people thought it was match of the year. You know, Cole said that on the entrance. So like they, they, they know what they've got here. And I, I would... I would think triple threats on the table for something like the IC title. You break up the bang, banger bros in some way. And uh, those guys would, would um, have a, have a great match. One other thing on Gunther it's sort of related to Gunther, but it's more related to carrying cross um, in, in a, in a, in a match like this, you really notice he is just like for as big as he is, he is not explosive. And like Gunther is a guy who's explosive. He's got quick movement, some power behind him. Cross is just weirdly a big guy who doesn't feel like a big guy in the ring. And it just stood out when you had Brock Lesnar, McIntyre, Sheamus, Gunther, uh, and Karrion Cross. He didn't feel like he fit there. And that was just something that I, I took away watching that match. No, you're totally right. Uh, to go back to what you were saying with the triple threat, you don't even have to, quote unquote, break up Sheamus and McIntyre because they're still now hitting each other in all those backstage segments. So they're aggressive dudes. They can still be friends and be in the match. Gunther's the heel. So you don't have to, like, make some big deal between them. But clearly, you, they both should want to go after the IC title. Do the triple threat. Everyone's happy. Uh, I found it interesting that these superstars were not in the Royal Rumble. Shinsuke Nakamura, Matt Riddle, Dolph Ziggler, and Butch all would have been better than, and, and I like these people, so don't get me wrong, but Chad Gable, Otis, Elias, and similar fillers, especially Nakamura and Riddle, given we were talking about the lack of surprises in the match. Now, maybe Riddle is still suspended, so he wasn't available, okay. But I don't understand why Shinsuke was not in this match. The roof would have blown off the place for his entrance, and it would have been another surprise return. So that, to me, was just a huge surprise. Here's the thing. This ties into Monday Night Raw, but I'll just say it here. If Boogs was coming back on Raw, you should have had him do the Nakamura entrance at the Rumble. Have Nakamura mm -hmm. come out and have Boogs do his big entrance because yep. that's what we love about Boogs. Instead, we got a not-so-great return, which we'll get into on Raw. So, yes, I agree. Nakamura in it would have been great on top of and you could have tied that in with boogs again if they were available we, we don't know for sure but if they were available i thought that would have been a great moment yeah now i also downplayed edge on the instant analysis just because it was an expected return but watching it back holy shit the pop was enormous despite it being the third year in a row that he returned at the rumble so even though it wasn't a shocker the crowd was crazy excited to see him and i didn't mean to downplay it as much as i did is this the first time we've ever had short hair edge in WWE? No, no, he's done that before. Because like I've seen him with short hair, just it looked different. I know he's had long hair with a beard, without a beard. I just couldn't remember the last time we had him with short hair. But it's definitely like right. a, just, it's definitely like an older triple. Uh, not, I was gonna say Triple H. Like, you know how Triple H has progressively gotten like 
more beard, less hair. Like he did that as his career progressed. Yeah. Edge is kind of like filling into that, you know, role now where it's like, okay, this is Edge as a father, not so much a superstar. You know what I mean? Right. I'm looking. Uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm looking through past Edge. The, yeah. I The short hair stuck out. We hadn't seen that in a while. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, my biggest issue with the match is there were far too many coincidental entries. And I did mention that on the instant analysis, but because I rewatched it, I actually got to count. So this is what we had in this match alone. We had Gunther and Sheamus to start and Drew McIntyre was out shortly thereafter. New Day back to back. Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley back to back. The Mysterios back to back, even though Ray didn't make his entrance. Judgment Day and Edge basically in succession. Omos and Braun Strowman back to back. Ricochet afterward, he's Braun's partner. So that's basically the same thing. If you did one, two, or even three of those, it might be okay. I just listed eight of them. That's half the match. Look, we're asked to suspend disbelief in wrestling, but creative has to live in some version of reality because these are supposed to be random entries and we saw them pick numbers. So we know it wasn't planned. All I'm saying is you got to space it out. You want to do Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley really close to each other. Cool. Put one or two people between them and it still gets you the same effect. You don't have to go. I don't know what their numbers are. Seven and eight or eight and nine or whatever the case might be. To me, it was way too coincidental. The entries in this match. Honestly, I didn't mind that. I I, I really didn't care about that at all. I, I actually, I liked it honestly, because like I said, watching old rumbles, there are lots of times when you have lulls and there aren't stuff going on. There aren't stories going on because they booked it so coincidental like that. There were always stories going on in this match and it never felt slow. It never felt flat. Yes, you have to suspend your disbelief because of the order, but I do. I actually liked it. I thought that helped the match. Now, can you do that every year? Probably not. But especially coming off of last year's disaster of a rumble, I just felt like, hey, Judgment Day is going on. Uh, uh, Banger Bros are going on. Brock Lesnar Lashley is going on. There was always something going on. And that's because you, you didn't even get Cody until the end. Cody at 30. So like the main focus of the match wasn't even going to be till the end of the match. And I thought they filled the time really well by doing it like that. So I didn't mind it. I'm not saying not to do it at all. I'm just saying give it a little bit of breath. Make it a little bit more realistic. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Sure. I mean, I, I, again, I liked it. So That's fine. Uh, and then lastly, Rhea Ripley uh, being built extremely strong in the women's rumble itself, plus her getting the opportunity to brawl with Beth Phoenix during the men's Royal Rumble and then seeing, of course, what happened Monday night on Raw that we'll get to later. Ha the fact that Ripley was built that strong and she's probably now going to go through Beth Phoenix to some degree. It is a really smart way to make her into an even bigger star than she already is ahead of WrestleMania. My hope going into Raw on Monday was that she would hold off her announcement. We'll talk about her actually making that announcement a little bit later. So I was disappointed at that, but the fact that the Beth thing is happening kind of in a quick three-week storyline just to kind of almost get that out of the way a little bit before WrestleMania, before she goes after a championship, possibly in the main event of night one. I just think it's really smart booking. Not only was, was her being number one, you know, make her look strong, but she was also the vast majority of the action for the first half of the match. It felt like she, she and like Roxanne Perez were like the only ones that the company felt could like, 
take everybody's moves and stuff like that. And in the first half, everything revolved around Rhea. She really carried that match as well. For sure. Now let's get to the main event. It was Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Before the match, there was a great duality that I kind of missed where Owens was sitting atop one turnbuckle while Reigns was being announced in the ring as the champion, while Sami Zayn sat behind him on the opposite turnbuckle. It was really eye-catching on rewatch. I was wondering if you got to see that. Yes, I think I may have actually mentioned that. To, to, but okay. but the, 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 shot, the shots that they took in this, that shot, uh, you know, Rome, the camera shot when Roman got hit by Sammy looking up, just they nailed the camera shots uh, on everything in that match. Uh, Sammy and Paul Heyman, their acting was next level the entire match. But what really caught me was Sammy hyperventilating at ringside and then Paul staring into his soul after Zayn was late on like his decision to give Reigns the chair, which nearly cost Roman the title. I just thought that was exceptional from both of them. And I also didn't focus enough on our instant analysis on the depth to which Roman was gaslighting Sammy in the moment after the match telling him that he loves him, how he's a member of the bloodline, this despite not allowing Jay to actually put the lay on him moments earlier, saying how Sammy can't turn back now, he's in so deep already, how someone he's known for 20 years in KO clearly doesn't have his back. And then when Sammy showed the slightest hesitation, Roman immediately turned on a dime and began abusing him both mentally and even physically as a last resort. Because unlike Jay, who could not be broken physically, if you remember, he mm -hmm. only got broken mentally by fear of something happening to his brother. Roman realized Sammy was motivated by acceptance and love. And he pushed that angle as, as hard as he could and as long as he could until the very last moment when it stopped working. And he said, well, if me telling me that him that I love him isn't going to work and giving him tough love then the last thing I can do is try to mentally and physically to some degree, you know, shoving him in the face, break him. I thought it was extraordinary to watch back and pick up all of those moments in their interaction in the ring. I loved when Roman shoved his face into Sammy's face and Sammy initially pushes back as well and gets face to face mm -hmm. with Roman for like a second. And then he backs off. Yep. And you're like, just Sammy kept going back and forth, be like, all right, I think I'm going to know I'm not. No, I'm not. He, like he re it wasn't just like I'm feeling this way, turn feeling that way. It was back and forth throughout that entire segment. Just again, acting work, Roman's facial expressions when Sammy stepped in front of the chair w w was great. My biggest thought looking back on this, and it may not apply to us as much because we watched it on the broadcast. Should that whole bit at the end, should Roman, Sammy and them, should they have had microphones? No, and I'm glad you said that because that's what I was about to talk about next. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you brought that up. There were a lot of things said off mic in the post-match that you're right. They were really tough to pick up live while doing the notes. So if you're in the arena, yes, you're missing probably a lot of what's happening. You could look on the big screens and try to read their lips, but you're not necessarily getting all of that. But the chances are people who were there who loved that Rewatched that shit on Peacock because they wanted to pick up all those little notes because they were all storytelling elements. Okay. You had Jimmy screaming at Jay. You say, this is your brother. You think he's your brother. I'm your brother. That was before the super kick to Sammy. I also kind of missed in the moment Roman screaming at Sammy after the chair shot. 
I gave you the world and this is how you repay me. Reigns mm-hmm. screaming at Sammy that he broke up his family, blamed him for Jay walking out before all those chair shots at the end, right before they left the ring. And then the end of the show, Reigns telling Solo Sokoa, we're at war now, Solo. We take no prisoners now. What's great about this storyline is how authentic it comes across. And all of this off-mic storytelling was a device to fuel that reality. When you grab a mic, you're performing. You want everyone to hear what you have to say. This wasn't that. No one needed to hear what they had to say except for them. And there are so many face and heel turns in wrestling that happen either because it's convenient or to shake things up. But everything in this storyline feels organic, and this helped them to that goal. From Jay succumbing to Roman's gaslighting and abuse, to Jimmy falling in line, Solo first aligning with Sammy and then fully aligning with Roman, Jay being the lone remaining heel, full heel out of distrust and a level of jealousy because Sammy had an easier road into the bloodline than him. Then Jay not accepting Sammy, but seeing him, not just accepting Sammy, but seeing him as a brother. All of that is reality-based, relationships developing organically as they would in this exaggerated reality that is WWE. And to see that play out in the main event over 15 minutes with no commentary, with no microphones, I think that's the reason it hit as well as it did. I completely agree that it made it feel all the more real, especially commentary coming out. It's commentary not saying anything. And so many times in wrestling, you're like, oh, someone's getting beat down. Someone's going to interfere and, in, 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 you know, music's going to hit. You know, what's going to happen? It didn't happen. If you're in that arena, it's just silence. You're, it, you're, you're seeing this play out. It's also why their mannerisms and actions meant so much more. And I do think uh, you got bigger reactions in the stadium when Sammy steps in front of the chair, when Roman sticks out the chair, uh, because there, there, it wasn't built as much. It was like, oh, oh, Sammy's stepping in front now because couldn't necessarily see that was coming through through the the, the, the voices. And remember how this all started. This whole storyline started in the Thunderdome when mm-hmm. Roman would be trash talking opponents throughout the mm-hmm. match. He was and telling Jay. the story. Yeah, and Jay and, and various things. That, but Roman trash talk during the match was telling the stories. And uh, the crowds come back. You do uh, uh, Roman versus Cena at SummerSlam, like a month in coming back with fans. And they tried it again, and it didn't work because you couldn't hear it because mm-hmm. there was a crowd. And so they went away from that. And so we hadn't gotten it as much until this moment. And I just kept thinking like, hey, you know, the things that Romans are saying, like everything they're saying is great. You want all this stuff in the video package before a match or something like that. As you like, as you look back on this whole thing, but I do think the audio is probably clear enough um, that you can still use it. It was oh, yeah. just something that came, that, 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 that came back. Cause you think of so many iconic wrestling moments, there's somebody on the microphone saying something. And the fact that we don't is a little bit different here. Yeah. And lastly, just to kind of wrap this up, Uh, We had Jay walking out of the entire thing, which spoke volumes, because let's not forget from day one, pun intended, of the Bloodline storyline, it's been Roman and Jay, Jay and Roman. Remember, Jay was the first one forced to fall in line. Jay is the one 
who has consistently been the subject of Roman's abuse to the point that Reigns even sided with Zayn over his own cousin when they were at odds. If you remember that whole segment backstage where he was like, yeah, uh, Jay, Sammy's right. You are a hothead and you've been a hothead since we were kids. You had in this moment, Sammy standing up to Roman. It effectively saved Jay, the only other person who has dared question Reigns and stand stood up to him previously. Jay was catatonic in the corner because what he was watching unfold was him reliving his own abuse that he suffered at the hands of this guy. Standing up to Roman for Sammy not only saved KO, it may have saved Jay because it allowed him to break free mentally to what degree we're going to find out probably Friday night, but break free to some degree from the hold that Reigns had has had over him for more than two years. I thought it was exceptional storytelling. Like everyone us included, was so concerned about what's going to happen with Sami Zayn, we really did forget that Jay has been an even larger part of this storyline because even throughout Sami's entire journey, Jay has been a part of Sami's journey just as he was with Roman Reigns at the very beginning. Now, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later as we book the damn territory for WrestleMania 39, but I did want to say that before we wrapped up talking about the main event. Yes, you know, everybody, we all talked about Sammy, all the, everything on social media and everything. It was all about Sammy and the turn and all that. But yes, major props to Jay for the job he did in the segment. And it, it, that's why, like, that's what this was great. It wasn't like Sammy hits Roman and then he's chasing other people out of the ring and he's standing strong. It's no, he hits him and then he turns and looks and Jay's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, like it, it was such a natural reaction as opposed to a typical wrestling reaction. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so that just, that just all worked. And uh, last thing I wanted to say about uh, Royal rumble. Yes. Um, listened back to the, the Hardy song a few more times. And I got to say, man, <laughs> come on. I like it. I, I, I like the song. Come I, on. I hated the live performance, but I got the song on my, on my playlist now. And uh, it, it worked. And I really liked, like you said, that music video at the end of the show, they used to do that in like the attitude era pay-per-views back yeah. in the day. But but um, no, I liked it. Anything else uh, regarding the Royal Rumble? Any other matches on the card that you wanted to mention that I didn't talk about? One last thing. Uh, L.A. Knight, uh, my boy. I know a lot of people were down on him for losing in, in a weird fashion. But something I didn't think about till I rewatched it was you couldn't even see L.A. Knight in this match. He's just got like <laughs> glow in the he's got glow in the dark gear, but you barely ever saw his face. And so, like, I think that makes it even easier for him to move on because it kind of who Bray Wyatt was fighting almost didn't even matter. It was a stand in. Yeah, you're right. It was like a, it was just more like a showcase of the Mountain Dew pitch black more than anything else. That's really what was so frustrating about it. Like the concept actually worked. It was just the execution to some degree didn't. And then at the end, the Uncle Howdy spot, him completely missing the dive. It was just like the cherry on top of the relative shit Sunday. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it just wasn't great by any means. Agree. All right, Chris, we have a ton of show still left. Let's move on by getting to what is normally the opening segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, the main event. event. Now, today's main event is going to cover both Royal Rumble Fallout, what went down on Raw, directly coming out of that show, and booking the road to WrestleMania 39. Now, the first match that has been set for WrestleMania 39 is indeed the undisputed WWE 
Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Cody Rhodes in the main event of night two. So Raw opened with Cody in the ring. He got a huge pop. He got you deserve it chance while staring at the WrestleMania sign. Rhodes talked about his pie in the sky goals when starting out at age 19 and how he never expected his career would actually go down the path that it did. He made veiled references to Stardust, Brandy, his father's death, and key moments in AEW. Cody quoted himself saying wrestling has more than one royal family, and WWE does too. He said the only way to make that statement a reality, though, is to stand across from Roman Reigns, who he respected. Cody said WrestleMania is 62 days away, but it's 62 days for the rest of his life. And that night, he's fine if Roman leaves as the tribal chief and the head of the table, but he just won't leave as the champion. So after Cody finished up, Judgment Day came out with Finn Balor saying Cody keeps trying to follow in his footsteps. And Dominic Mysterio said that he was supposed to win the Rumble. And if he was in prison, he being Cody, he would have got got. Damian Priest called out Rhodes for getting handed the 30th spot. And Dom demanded an apology. Cody had a funny line about scared straight. And he challenged any of them to fight on Raw. The segment kind of lingered as Cody's music played. And I kept wondering, like, why they didn't go to commercial? And the reason was because Edge's music hit out of absolutely nowhere. He attacked Judgment Day. Cody joined in on the attack before Cody and Balor got set for the main event. And then later backstage, Balor told Edge he works Mondays and repeated that Cody has been stealing from him for years, referring to the Bullet Club. So he's getting taxed on Monday night and Balor is going to collect. It was a really good short promo from Balor. Now, getting the Judgment Day portion of this out of the way, For me, it just would have hit far better if the segment ended with Cody's promo. But about that promo, I would grade it like a B plus. The content was solid. The delivery was solid. The crowd responded in all the right ways. But to me, it just lacked an emotional element that I completely expected from him. The way Cody teared up in the press conference is what I needed here. You have two months to talk about the family legacy and going after the title and the royal family and all that type of stuff. Here, I really wanted to see from Cody what winning the Royal Rumble meant to him. But that's just my take. Again, it was very good. I just didn't think it was great. And Cody, as we know, is capable of delivering great promos. It felt like Cody had never left. Like he comes out and cuts his promo and is like, oh yeah, this is this is the Cody promo. Like it's it, it's always the same format. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It it works. I personally love how he delivers his promos to the entire crowd. He walks mm-hmm. around, he looks all over and acknowledges everybody. There's a lot of work with the in-ring cam, as opposed to the way WWE does most of their promos, which is you look at the hard cam. Um, it, 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 you get the crowd more involved and they, they follow your promo better. Um, I really, this is like nitpicking, but like, I really hated that they opened by announcing, Hey, here's the Royal Rumble winner, Cody Rhodes music hits. They already showed us the highlights. We knew Cody won. Just play his music. Hit the damn music. Yes, correct. Yeah. Just like, just play that. Like, that's the moment. Not to build us up to announce Cody. Then the music. No, just hit the music, man. Like, that that was, that was uh, uh, annoying. Um, Yeah, I thought the promo was fine. It's, with Cody, it's almost always like above average. Mm -hmm. And it's consistently that. So I'm curious if he's going to keep doing this every week. Like he kind of was before he got hurt. Um. And if we get 
bored of it or not. But it was it was okay. It was solid. It wasn't his best. You kind of expected more in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Perfect way to put it. So we got Cody against Balor in the main event. Balor went after Cody's pectoral, rode to the tope suicida, dodged Priest, and threw Dom over the announce table. Balor countered the Cody cutter with a sling blade. Cody came back with a vertically delayed superplex and a Cody cutter. Edge came out in the crowd for the final minutes. He attacked Priest. He killed Dom with a spear at ringside. Ripley attacked Edge and got like a number of shots on him, only to eat another spear from Beth Phoenix, who ran down the ramp. Then back inside the ring, Balor hit a shotgun dropkick, but Edge distracted, delaying coup de gras. Balor missed it. Rhodes hit three crossroads in succession to get the win and an enormous pop to end Raw. I didn't see why three crossroads were necessary, but I digress. It was a banger of a match and what a real Raw main event looks like and feels like. It's the first time. I'm not saying that we haven't gotten any of those recently, but it's the first time we've gotten one that felt like that in a long time. That's what we used to get every single week in the Attitude Era. It, this worked in every possible way. It set up Edge and Beth against Balor and Ripley at Elimination Chamber. That's an obvious booking. It gave Cody a massive win in the return. And it completely protected Balor because the way the finish transpired, we were led to believe that Balor was about to hit coup de gras and win that match. It took a clear edge distraction and three crossroads for him to lose. My lone gripe on the entire thing was that they gave away Cody and Balor so quickly when Balor should have like a months long storyline with Rhodes after he wins the title as one of his top challengers. That's when you do the Bullet Club storyline and you bring up all that type of stuff. Now they can definitely go back to it Given the edge distraction and the finish, Balor has plenty of, re of reason to want another title match and be granted one, given it came that close if Cody does ultimately win the championships. I just kind of wish that they used Priest in this spot or figured out some other way to save that feud for further down the line. But in terms of what we got Monday night, I thought it was fantastic. Agree. And I also like that we got a, a, a basically a fog match between the two of them. Uh, but we did. I made, a, for Cody. Yeah. Yeah. I made a Pyro for Cody. Yeah. I made a joke on Twitter. Sorry, I made a joke on Twitter that it was like Matt Riddle's basement out there. Yeah. Yeah. The smoke for Finn, the, it was like, it was legit. It looked like it was like old, like cigar smoke wrestling, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the uh, old uh, buildings and stuff, I guess. <laughs> so that stood out. Match, you know, match was good. Cody goes to the three crossroads too much. He did it mm -hmm. in the first match he came back with Seth. He did that at Mania. So like that instantly, like kind of, but don't forget, finisher. that was at the end of like, I don't know how long that match was, but like a 35 minute match where Rollins was kicking out of stuff. This was right. a 15 minute I mean, TV main event, you know? No, I know. But like in like John Cena's first match, he doesn't need to hit three AAs to win Correct. the match, you know? Like, so right. like I just, so basically if you lose to one crossroads now, you don't look as strong just because we see that a lot. But, you know, overall it, it was good. And, Co you know, Cody afterward, um, talked to the crowd, said, hey, it's, you know, frozen out there. We got a lot of ice in this region right now and um, and uh, be safe and everything. So he continues to do that very well. He put a banana uh, costume head on that someone in the crowd was wearing and danced around and shit. So, yeah, Cody uh, did the whole send the crowd home happy after all went off the air. 
he's the guy. He's clearly the guy, what they're trying to build him into. I did mention on Twitter, and I also said this on the instant analysis, we got all your DMs and your tweets, your questions, your comments, all that. We're going to infuse some of those within the show. So I'm going to talk about some of those right now. Justin Downs at Banana Pancakes. He wrote in, uh, what if Sammy goes into Elimination Chamber with a match against Roman for the Universal Championship? Then Cody wins against Roman for the WWE Championship, the one he said he wants by name. This gets Roman to settle both storylines, gets both guys over, and this can lead to Roman getting written off for a while. In theory, Justin, that's a good idea. The problem is there is no way that WWE would have Reigns lose before WrestleMania. If he was to lose one title, it would have to be the WWE title to Cody at WrestleMania. And if he's going to lose at all, you might as well have him lose both of them. Now, if they had done the single title and he lost the WWE Championship to Cody, but he remained Universal Champion, then you could say, okay, he's able to continue that streak despite putting over Cody and taking his first loss by pinfall in you know three years. But I'm of the belief when Roman loses, he has to lose it all, and he certainly should not lose the Universal Championship a month before he loses the WWE Championship. What may work on the back end, Chris, is Cody taking both titles into Raw the Monday after Mania and saying the WWE title is the one that he wants. SmackDown needs its own champion. And then he relinquishes the Universal Championship. That would allow one winner. It would also allow a natural split of the titles using a kayfabe explanation. But at this point, we are far too deep into this undisputed title reign to have them split up before WrestleMania. Yep, that's exactly how I would book it too. We we are in the Sammy Cody of it all now here. There is constant chatter among internet fans about, hey, we want Sammy, not Cody. But I don't think it's like a Dan O'Brien situation. Fans are, I don't think are going to boo Cody and say we want Sammy. No. WWE crowds are different now. People like Cody. I don't think it's going to be an, an issue and I think we are going ahead with with uh, with Cody but I also again trust them to figure out the Sammy thing we've got elimination chamber in Montreal you know like we'll see what happens on Smackdown I trust them to get it right but I don't think we're getting Sammy as 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 champion here yeah I agree with that and we're going to book the damn territory for elimination chamber into Wrestlemania on this storyline momentarily I did get two more though Aaron at Lions Heat Yanks, which Aaron, I just got to say, like, I am someone who is a Yankees fan, a Knicks fan, and also a Dolphins fan. So my allegiance is not based on one city, but Lions, Heat, Yankees, that's Detroit, Miami, New York. That's wild. So you're going to have to explain to me how you're a fan of those three specific teams. Uh, look, I know it's going to be Cody, Aaron says, but what do you think about Jay dethroning Roman? Bloodline story started with Roman breaking Jay. Maybe this has been Jay's story all along. And then Jeremy Smith, who actually sent us a tip via Venmo, he asked, uh, purely from a storytelling perspective, is there any more natural ending than Jay over Roman at Mania? It's always been Jay's story. There'd be nothing better than bringing it full circle at Mania. And I have to say to both of them, Chris, to a degree, that is true. It has been Jay's story all along. And it does feel like Jay needs to beat or get over on Roman before Reigns goes away, no matter how that ultimately transpires. If they had Cody only challenge for the WWE title with Reigns keeping the universal, then maybe that could have presented a situation where Jay beats Roman for that title down the line, perhaps 
as late as SummerSlam if they kept that going. More likely, though, it's going to be the booking that I'm about to discuss, which I think might be the plan. I do believe in general, though, before we talk about that booking, Jay needs to be heavily involved in what happens over the next two shows. And in one way or another, Jay does need to get his moment over Roman. I just don't exactly know how that's going to happen. My The way I've pictured it is Sammy and or Jay interfere in some way to, to keep Roman from cheating. Maybe they uh, maybe they do something to Paul Heyman and it, it helps Cody get the edge to get the win to win the championship or something like that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. So let's book the damn territory for Elimination Chamber and WrestleMania. I'll give you mine, okay? And then you can kind of respond if you agree, disagree, or have any additional thoughts. So I am of the belief right now that we're going to get Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn one-on-one at Elimination Chamber. I just think it makes a lot of sense. It's the main event. We all know WrestleMania is WrestleMania. But Sami main eventing for the undisputed title against the top wrestler in this business, literally in his hometown. I think he lived 18 miles away from Montreal in a suburb growing up. That is bigger for him, given he probably wouldn't dethrone Roman, whether it was at WrestleMania or whether it was at Elimination Chamber. Reigns is going to get nuclear heat. Think Canadian stampede level heat. Sammy will get the biggest baby face reactions possibly of the entire year. You think Drew McIntyre in Wales got pops? This is going to be monumental and likely the top in-ring moment of Sammy's career. And when Roman comes out with the titles, he is going to be so hated. Those fuck you Roman chants, they're going to repeat themselves in Montreal. They're probably going to be twice as loud. And Cody will look like the biggest babyface in the world one month later when he takes reigns down. So this is how I think the booking goes, and you kind of laid it out there. In this match, Sokoa helps Reigns. Kevin Owens runs down to a huge pop, helps Sammy. Jimmy comes down, helps Reigns. And then Jay either doesn't come out or he's conflicted, maybe even reluctantly helps, and Roman wins. Then at WrestleMania, you have Sammy angry that Jay helped, that whole deal. That brings us to the Usos against Sammy and KO, as we've expected for the tag team titles. Jay and Sammy, they were a little reluctant to fight each other, but it happens because it has to. Jay, perhaps, at the end of the match, doesn't take advantage of an opportunity to cheat. Jimmy takes the fall. They lose the titles. Then in the main event, you repeat what happened at Elimination Chamber. Sokoa helps Reigns. KO helps Cody. Jimmy helps Reigns. Sammy helps Cody. And then Jay comes out with the expectation he's going to help Reigns. Instead, he either does nothing, which distracts him, or even slaps Roman across the face, low blows him, punches him, whatever the case. And Cody ultimately, a couple minutes later, wins the WWE Universal Championship. That is how I think we get from Elimination Chamber through the main event of WrestleMania. What do you think? Here's the problem with Elimination Chamber. Jim Uso can't go to Canada. We and think it's possible that's been worked out. It's It's been reported, and Jay, I think, maybe as well. And Sammy even references the whole reason Sammy got involved with Roman was because they did that SmackDown in Montreal. And Sammy was like, you know, Jimmy and Jay couldn't be there. Paul wasn't there. And so they put me with Roman, and it worked. 
And so I don't know. Like if they if they can't go, you know, maybe we're doing Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus Roman and Solo Sokoa. Uh, if 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 they can, then maybe we get some sort of shenanigans. But I do worry that it's some sort of shenanigans where we feel like, oh, Sammy deserves the title, you know, because he got cheated out of it or something. That would that would mess with their Cody plans even more. Which is why I think maybe a Sammy KO tag team match is maybe more likely. But either way, we get to Cody versus Roman, and and like I mentioned, like you mentioned, Sammy J KO some mix of that, you know, combines to prevent Roman from cheating, and, and Cody gets the belt. I also think, I, I I also I don't know I don't know how to book it here, but Sammy and KO <laughs> winning the tag team titles from the Usos. Feels like a night one WrestleMania main event moment. It, it does, um, but that would that that would require Jey Uso eventually securing himself with the Bloodline. You know, may, he goes back and forth. Maybe he uh, does something to Sammy, and he says, "No, that's it. I'm Bloodline. I got to go." And then you do the tag match. At that's Mania, what. I, so. That's what I'm getting at. I think like him having to fight Sammy or being asked to cheat or hurt Sammy or attack him or whatever ends up being his breaking point where he's like. He, tr- he tries to fall in line and make it work. His brother and Roman convince him, hey, you're still bloodline. We'll give you a break for walking out. It's okay. It's an emotional moment, blah, blah, blah. He tries to fall in line. Then he realizes, I just can't. And that's kind of where that all transpires. Maybe even there's a storytelling element in that match where them losing the titles almost allows him to break free because he has no lo- no more tether to the bloodline other than the abuse that he suffered from both of them. So I do think it's very possible that's kind of how the entire thing goes down. I just wanted to book the damn territory out. You know, it's we're going to find out a lot more on SmackDown this coming Friday. I certainly hope Roman Reigns is on that episode to take advantage coming out of, you know, a huge storyline at the Royal Rumble. I understand why none of them were on Raw. With Sammy and KO, you can easily make the excuse that they got their asses kicked and weren't physically able to be there. That's fine. Not having any bloodline representation on that show. Again, it's okay because you had Cody and all the stuff that they booked. And it was a pretty good raw top to bottom. But to not really be able to capitalize on the on the biggest storyline in wrestling in at least a decade, if not longer, on your first show after the Royal Rumble, you know, to me, that was a little bit of a disappointment. So I hope we yep, get a lot more on Friday. So getting to the other major match uh, that we can discuss from a Royal Rumble fallout perspective, it will be the SmackDown Women's Championship on the line as Charlotte Flair defends against Rhea Ripley, the Royal Rumble winner. So let's talk about what happened on Raw. Ripley opened hour two of Raw on her own, saying she wanted all the attention on herself. She put herself over for going the distance and recalled challenging Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania two years ago, only to get put in her place and lose that match. Rhea admitted that Charlotte always seems to be at the top of her game and and at her best at WrestleMania, but said that she is the disruptor, her being Ripley, ready to put flair in her place, and she issued the challenge for WrestleMania. Ripley's promo was fine, okay? There was nothing wrong with it. But the decision kind of went over like a wet fart. Now, maybe I'm only speaking for myself here, but I have zero desire to see this rematch, I think for a third time, especially coming out of a promo where Rhea said she's sick of seeing the same stuff over and over. So I kept waiting for her to say, because of that, I'm choosing Bianca Belair. The crowd would have popped. Belair could have immediately come out. They could have done a stare down in the ring. Let's not forget, WWE teased Ripley, Becky Lynch, and Ripley Belair in the last couple of months. 
two absolute show stopper matches. And instead, it's flair again. Not to mention, a win is going to require a brand switch for Rhea. Judgment Day is on Raw. Obviously, they can all move over, but it is a complication. Look, from a storytelling standpoint, choosing flair makes perfect sense. Don't get me wrong. And I know there is plenty of time to do Ripley Belair in the future. They're going to be mainstays of this women's division for a long time. But I'm allowed my opinion. And it's neither what I wanted nor what I believe is best for WrestleMania. Charlotte is just not a strong enough baby face to counter Rhea, at least not compared to Bianca. So the promo segment itself, again, no problem with it. I just disagree with the booking decision. Either way though, Chris, Ripley 1000% better win this fucking match. Yeah, I'm I'm not super into this either. And I don't want to blame Charlotte, but I feel like I kind of got to blame Charlotte for Absolutely. just being Charlotte and just this is what it means when she sucks up all the oxygen and all the attention and all the all the interest is that it just ends up revolving around her. And Charlotte's not a good face. Is she going to turn heel? People are going to be, people cheer for Rhea Ripley, even though she's a heel. They boo Dominic, but they cheer her. Mm -hmm. I just, like on paper, yeah, the story makes sense. Rhea, Charlotte, you know, two bigger women, strong women. Like, like I get it, but Bianca's that too. And like Rhea, Bianca, you'd be like, this is the future of women's wrestling right here. And, And like, I just, I don't get it. And then, you know, there's going to be an elimination chamber to determine the the person that fights Bianca. And none of that is as interesting to me as if you put any of those women against Charlotte, I think is more interesting than Rhea against Charlotte and Rhea against Bianca would be better. So I just very surprised at this for all the reasons you said, and I'm just really disappointed by it. That's the problem. There's another natural opponent for Charlotte, which I'm going to get to. There's two, actually. There's two natural opponents for Charlotte that she could have at WrestleMania that are better and more interesting and more exciting, at least to me. I can only really speak for myself, um, than Rhea Ripley. I also wanted to do this note before I talk about those opponents. Charlotte Flair has either won the Royal Rumble, which happened in 2020, or been the opponent chosen for the Royal Rumble. Every single year of the women's Royal Rumble's existence, except 2021, where we got the best women's match at WrestleMania, Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks. You could argue uh, Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch last year was just as good, very similar. But nevertheless, that was the most compelling coming out of the women's Royal Rumble, Belair and Banks. In 18, she was chosen by Asuka. In 19, she was the WrestleMania opponent in the winner-take-all match in uh 20, she won the Rumble. In 22, Rousey chose her. And now in 23, Ripley chose her. So it's like the force feeding of Charlotte in this moment. And we mentioned this, a lot of things have changed and will change from Vince McMahon to Triple H. One thing that is not changing is the overbooking, the super Cena, the super Charlotte level booking of Flair because Triple H holds Rick in the same esteem that Vince did. Now, when I mentioned the two other possible opponents for her that are better than Rhea Ripley, let me lay them out quickly because we are booking the damn territory for WrestleMania. So for WrestleMania, what we're going to get is Ripley Flair for the SmackDown Women's Championship. The Raw Women's Championship is going to be Bianca Belair against, as you said, an opponent to be determined in the Elimination Chamber match. What I would have booked, okay, is Bianca Belair against Rhea Ripley for the Raw Women's Championship. 
And then Charlotte Flair, who holds the SmackDown Women's Championship against either Asuka or Becky Lynch. Now, Becky Lynch, perhaps the personal relationship is legitimately frayed and they don't want to work together. And that's not possible. But there is a real life and on-screen storyline that you could tell that would lead to a blockbuster match between Becky and Charlotte at WrestleMania. And Asuka has the exact same complaint that Rhea had in terms of choosing Flair for this match. She was the first Royal Rumble winner for the women in 2018. And they had Flair beat her at WrestleMania and they didn't give Asuka her WrestleMania moment. So you have Asuka back as this new character. Charlotte's a face. It's very rare that Asuka's a heel, but she kind of is one, it seems like right now. And you have Asuka win Elimination Chamber in dominant fashion, challenge Charlotte and get her revenge for 2018. So you're playing out an almost identical storyline with Charlotte, yet we get a much better match with Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. That's how I would have booked it for WrestleMania. Yes, because I don't think Asuka Bianca or Becky Bianca or Bailey Bianca or Liv Bianca is as interesting. It's you not. know, the, 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 Raw, the Raw Women's Championship match that we're going to get is not as interesting. I just, I think you could have made two better matches and the bigger single match if you did Bianca versus Rhea. So I just... Very surprised by all of this and, and again, just kind of disappointed. Yeah, it's a frustration. Now, booking out the rest of this WrestleMania 39 card, doing a little bit of booking the damn territory. I'm only saying this based on what transpired at the Royal Rumble and coming in on Raw. I just wanted to break these down, Chris. Um, give me yes or no if you agree with them, and, and then we can move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly and the rest of the show. Uh, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, the rubber match. Yes. Austin Theory versus John Cena. Hopefully the United States Championship is off of Theory before this, and it does seem like that might be the plan based on what happened Monday night. But there are too many consistent references to not believe that we're getting something other than Austin Theory and John Cena. Maybe. I, I, don't, want to, I don't know if I can say yes or no. I, I, I think Cena, okay. Logan Paul is certainly possible too. Well, I think it's pretty clear based on what happened backstage at Raw that we're getting Seth Rollins and Logan Paul. That is possible as well. Yes. So that was my next one. Uh, Intercontinental Championship, we already discussed. Gunther, either against Sheamus or McIntyre or both. You don't even need to respond. We already talked about that. Rey Mysterio versus Dominic Mysterio or some version of that. Makes a lot of sense, right? Yes. I'm worried they may throw that on like the SmackDown before if they don't think it's a big enough match and if they have to cut somewhere. But Mm -hmm. yes. Something involving Bray Wyatt. I feel like it's just going to be straight up Bray Wyatt versus Uncle Howdy, though. Yeah, that's going to be weird. I'm not into it, but (laughs) something's going to happen. We'll see. We got 62 days to get there and find out what the hell that's going to be. But that right there, Chris, is nine matches. If you include the you know Raw Women's title match and all that that I mentioned, we still have the women's tag team titles, the United States Championship, if it's not with theory. That also doesn't include Edge doing something. If you put all that together, you have 13 matches. You're almost at a full card. So I really do believe, for the most part, that's what WrestleMania is going to look like, what we just discussed. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree. I'm, I'm wondering if you if you do some sort of Andre the Giant again, maybe in the pre-show, get some mm-hmm. celebrities involved. I'm just trying to think, like, wh- what does Mania usually have that that card doesn't have? Well, I think, I think both celebrities divisions... Moments, yeah. 
I think both divisions have been built up to such a degree with talent, Triple H uh, making the roster bigger. You could absolutely do one Andre match for the men one night, one for the women the other night in the kickoff show. And I think they should. Yeah, I'm just trying to think where are the other... You got Logan Paul in there, but where is Pat McAfee? Where is... Hopefully, appear, where is a rock making an appearance somewhere or something like that? I, I still think it'll probably show up in some form. So, yeah, there's a lot of other bells and whistles to put around it. All right. Well, Chris, that was the main event and a little bit of booking the damn territory for WrestleMania 39. Let's move on to our next segment on the show. The good, the bad and the ugly. And by the way, these sound drops, they're going to get ingrained into the show very soon, hopefully within the next week. So don't miss that coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. If you think the sound is good today, it's going to get even better coming up shortly. Uh, Charlotte credited Sonya Deville for being persistent, telling Adam Pearce she was willing to give her another title match, basically just to get away from her. He wanted it to be earned, but he relented and just said fine. This came after Sonya interrupted a Charlotte interview that was on some Fox podcast. I don't have a grade here. I don't think we need to grade it. I'm just glad that they're getting this go nowhere storyline out of the way this week. Yeah, I ultimately, I don't think this is helping Sonya in the way that they want it to. And that's it's just because it's been weird, but Agree. Yeah. Uh, WWE announced that the men's elimination chamber match will be for Theory's United States Championship. So we got three qualifying matches immediately on Raw. And we also learned that the women's chamber will be for Bianca Belair's challenger for the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, difference being here, there's going to be superstars from both Raw and SmackDown competing in oh. that match. So you got to consider this booking. Both Royal Rumble winners were Raw superstars challenging primarily SmackDown champions with both chamber matches now being Raw related. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, especially given Ripley didn't even announce her decision on SmackDown, which really she should have done so that Flair could have confronted her, don't you think? Yes, that's where I don't think Raw and SmackDown means as much as it used to because we have so much crossover now and because Roman has both belts and the tag team are united. But yes, that was a little bit weird. All right, so let's get to that first qualifying match. We had Seth Rollins against Chad Gable. It was Gable who opened on fire, hitting all of his signatures, plus a dragon screw. Rollins avoided a moonsault and hit a buckle bomb. Then he countered Chaos Theory. The deadlift German suplex finally got a name. Uh, with a super kick and Falcon Arrow, Gable came back with a great cliffhanger DDT, caught an enziguri with an ankle lock before then catching a stomp with an ankle lock also. Rollins then rolled through an attempted cover, countering directly into the pedigree for the win. This was a straight-up banger match. That's all I have to say. 4.25 stars and an A, which is basically my ceiling for a sprint match this length with a commercial break. But it just could not have been better given the allotted time. The finish was tremendous. Rollins was the right winner given his star power being needed for the chamber. He's not going to win the chamber, but you still want him in that match. Gable looked awesome. Obvious good. Yep, this was definitely good. One other thing I wanted to say about Elimination Chamber. When did they announce it would be for the U.S. title? It was, was it on social media first on social media the and then on the show. Okay. Because I went back and looked and they didn't 
uh, they didn't say it right away. They just said, we've got Elimination Chamber matches, qualifiers coming up. And I was like, wait, what is this for? You never told me. I missed it on social mm. media. So I just, that was that was confusing at first until I figured it out. But uh, yeah, great match. Seth the Rifle winner. Seth Austin Theory, I'm kind of very much done with, as they've alluded to, but yes. Sure. Later backstage, Rollins was crowing about his win, but then he refused to comment about Logan Paul uh, eliminating him from the Rumble a couple days earlier, a further indication that it's the WrestleMania plan, which is fine as long as Rollins wins. And even later backstage, Mansois and Massey, who are SmackDown superstars, let's not forget, they were disgusted when they saw Otis walk by them with Gable, but Maxine Dupree stopped them and said, he's perfect. So clearly something's happening there. Um, I love it. Speaking of maximum male models, I mentioned it on last week's show, Chris. Did you get a chance to watch the YouTube series? I have watched a couple of them. My brother also separately texted me and said, hey, the maximum male models are doing this really funny thing on YouTube. So, yes, I watched it. thought they were really funny. They're doing pretty good work. And Maxine Dupree being interested in Otis is intriguing. Uh, yeah. Otis is kind of a face back. He's back to being the kind of the goofy, funny guy. He did the worm, uh, the caterpillar in, in the rumble. So I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah. I very much want Otis and Gable faces now. Like I'm re- they did a great job as heels with Alpha Academy. They should be baby faces. They got a great pop two weeks ago. Keep them in that role. Uh, Johnny Gargano fought Baron Corbin in the second qualifier. Dexter Loomis joined Gargano at ringside. He ate a great punch from Corbin while trying to spring inside and got chokeslammed into the barricade. Gargano came back with a slingshot spear, but Corbin caught him with deep six. Gargano dodged Corbin into the corner, hit a tope suicida. So JBL just like lost his shit and he pulled off the top of the announce table. Loomis got in his face. He pulled an ax out of the waistband of his pants and he slammed it on the table, pinning JBL's hat to it. Corbin caught Gargano running, but Johnny countered end of days into an inside cradle for the win. Now, I'd have preferred Gargano winning with a move, given it's just Corbin, but the finisher counter was really well executed as an inside cradle instead of a roll-up, plus Gargano was the right winner for the match. He straight up shines in stipulation matches. We've seen it before in war games, ladder matches, etc. And this is going to be a great chance for him to truly get over with his wrestling, which is the way Johnny wrestling gets over. This was good. This was good. Something we didn't talk about really with the Rumble is that uh, Johnny's music. I know it's not new that it's a remix, but we hadn't heard it in a while. And I was reminded that I don't really like it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a downgrade for sure from the prior theme. Uh, Dolph Ziggler against Bronson Reed was the third qualifier. There was a great clip of Mustafa Ali confronting Ziggler over getting yet another opportunity handed to him. Ziggler's like, hey, kid, I don't book the show, which was a good line. Ali is doing a great job showing personality through this angle. You know, it's tough to find something for him to really latch on to. WWE's tried and failed. He's tried and failed. A lot of them have been bad gimmicks. This one, I think, works. He's just, he's dissed, he's angry, and he's just going after really management and the establishment here. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, Reed ate a zigzag, but caught Dolph flying on the Famouser for a powerbomb. Then he ran to the top rope and hit the tsunami and the win in a short match. Ziggler bumped his ass off, which is what Reed needed. The crowd again responded to the tsunami. That's exactly what he needed. He's the right winner. A big bodied heel in the chamber is great for the match. I presume Rollins is going to eliminate him with a stomp or something like that, but I'm glad that he's in it. Good short match to build Bronson. I like the way the chamber field is already developed, and I like what they're doing with Ali. Good. Uh, The Ali thing, the other thing I noticed is that his hair isn't black anymore. It was more brownish. I don't know if he got hair dye out of his hair or something, but 
don't know if you noticed that, but his hair was a different color than normal. And I mostly didn't care for his appearance. He was more annoying to me in that segment than anything Ziggler did or said. Really? So I thought it was I great. It, okay. I don't know if it's a heel or face gimmick, but Ali complaining about not getting opportunities or complaining about other people getting opportunities uh, when he's you know, been in stuff with Lashley and all these other things and losing uh, matches didn't hit with me. He's, he's more now there's a pattern though. Ziggler's gotten like five different opportunities that Ali's like, hey, yeah, can, Ziggler, can I get Ziggler's one? a former Ziggler's a former world champion. Uh yeah, first I of know. all. And uh, you know, Ali got, you know, the last two months he's gotten opportunities and he's just lost every time. So Yeah, but he, there's been ex- but don't forget, this all started because Ziggler cost him the US championship in that match when he super kicked Theory. Oh yeah, I forgot about so that. So there's a there's a tie into that. He had an opportunity. He may have won, but he, he got screwed. So it all ties in. That's why I like it so much. So all right, whatever. Well, let's move on. Uh Theory was in the VIP lounge with MVP. Theory said he was there to make MVP and the lounge relevant again. He got good heat from the crowd before recalling how Brock Lesnar F5 disaster in the match last year, the chamber match. Theory said the ruthlessness that the new generation needs is what he's bringing to the table and no amount of aggression can stop him again, making a veiled reference to John Cena. There were a lot of references to Bobby Lashley here, despite him not being in the chamber match. And it ended with Lashley entering after theory said he would get chewed up by Lesnar. When theory called MVP, his daddy Lashley attacked MVP used his cane to help raise theory off the ground. So theory smartly pulled the cane, which shoved MVP in his way and Lashley speared MVP. Something about this just did not hit for me. Clearly, they were creating a reason for Lashley to spear MVP and then make some in-between storyline before the Lashley-Lesnar build for WrestleMania. But putting Theory in the ring with Lashley again, despite clarifying he wouldn't be in the chamber match, was just an eye roll. It was also a really aggressive heel versus heel confrontation with Theory and MVP, so the crowd really had no one to cheer. I like all three of these guys but it just felt like they were forcing development of Lashley and Lesnar without Lesnar being present using theory who should be done with Lashley. So I'm giving this a bad because it was poorly constructed and poorly executed. I'm a mix because I really liked theory and MVP kind of going at it at the, on the mic. And I think we don't talk enough about how theory is very good on the mic and he handled himself in there with MVP very well. The mm-hmm. Lashley stuff I don't care about. I'm so sick and tired of Lashley theory. Um, and also we didn't get any, was there any announcement that like Brock Lesnar was suspended for attacking referees or something like that? No, and there should have been or something. That happened. There should have been some explanation yeah. why he wasn't there. Agreed. Yeah. I was surprised we didn't get that. So I'm, I'm a mix. I'll give it a light good. Cause I liked theory and MVP. Okay. Uh, Candice LeRae fought EO Sky. Mishin came out with LeRae. EO hit an awesome Tope Suicida crossbody. Candice came back with a springboard crossbody outside. LeRae on the bottom rope pulled Sky off the middle rope for a German suplex. She added a great poison Rana and tried to swing neckbreaker off the ropes only to get thrown off herself. Candice got her knees up on the over the moonsault, but Dakota Kai distracted the referee during a pinning attempt. Then she had a code breaker and Bailey interfered. So EO caught Candice with a trap pinfall for the win. My biggest issue here was the pacing. The first half of the match was barely watchable because they went commercial break, ring entrances, one minute of wrestling, picture-in-picture marketing for that Dave Batista movie that they advertised a million times during Raw, then two minutes of wrestling, 
an entire commercial break, picture in picture. And then we come back and finally got like five minutes of wrestling. Once we got the focus on the match, it was a banger as one would expect with EO and Candice who work extremely well together. It did start a little bit rough, but by the end, the match was fantastic. Now, Meechin, I think, beat Dakota Kai last week or the week before. So Candice losing here was fine, giving they're clearly setting up a tag team title feud between the four of them. There's something going on with Dakota Kai possibly being injured. I don't have any more information about that. I want to find out. I saw a lot of people complaining that Candice lost to EO. Number one, EO and Candice have fought a bunch of times. EO always beats Candice. So the first time Candice beats her or pins her is not going to be on a random raw. You have to make a bigger deal out of it. Number two, EO Sky is one of the top wrestlers in the entire world. I know right now she's not a main eventer in WWE, but as much as I love Candice, EO head to head is better. So she should be winning these matches. She's also the champion. So I don't know why people were complaining about this. Anyway, this also was like a clear difference between Vince McMahon's booking and Triple H's booking. Previously, they would have come back from commercial and the match would have ended after one minute. Instead, they got like five or six more minutes to put in work and deliver a quality match. I like the booking. I like the storyline with these four women. It's a good. Yeah, it, it was fine. It, I'll give it a light good. You, you made this comment on Twitter uh, last night about the commercial match, commercial, all that stuff. And, and I, I just theorized in, in a reply that we should just get a commercial free episode of Raw and just every match is a different flavor of Mountain Dew themed. <laughs> and then I think it's a win win for everybody. No commercials and, and they can get all their sponsorship money. So maybe that's something they can look into. It was also just frustrating because it was the only women's match on the show. And that's happened. They've only had one women's match on Raw a couple weeks, which, you know, on a SmackDown, occasionally only doing one women's match or Dynamite every week, at least you can say it's a two-hour show. You're like, all right, it's a two-hour show. They have a lot of other stuff going on. But on a three-hour Raw, there's just no excuse to only have one women's match. Now, look, there's been plenty of Raws where there's been three or four women's matches. So does it average out to two? Probably. probably averages out to more than that. It was just frustrating to only get one match. But I will say, if you're only going to give me one match, and it's a match of this quality, you're getting a thumbs up from me. Uh, Bailey opened our three of Raw bragging about taking Becky out twice in one week when she said, okay, our feud is now over. Lynch interrupted with some botched smoke behind her from production. Becky called out Bailey's chicken shit antics, saying she didn't want to admit that Lynch was a better wrestler than her. Bailey then got real, calling her Rebecca, saying she's overrated, not good enough to be champion again, and not good enough even for her husband. She said Seth Rollins only married Becky because he knocked her up. And I just did not expect it to go in the direction of her being jealous of Becky's husband or Becky being married. Becky said that she thought they were fighting over wrestling, but clearly Bailey has been bitter since NXT. So she appropriately wanted the steel cage match in Orlando, the home of NXT next week. Bailey said no. So Becky's like, okay. She puts down the mic, walks backstage, drags out Dakota Kai with a steel chair wrapped around her ankle as a threat to break her ankle. That led Bailey to finally accept the match. Becky said damage control. They can come to ringside next week if they want. But she suggested that she also attacked Io, who was nowhere to be found, and they're doing some type of social media angle on her missing. This was WWE making what I thought was some pretty tasty chicken salad out of chicken shit after the match got canceled at Raw 30. Bailey getting real, it amped up the intensity a bit. It did feel a little bit forced and unnatural for her to go to that level, especially because Becky 
is the best women's promo in the business and she didn't shoot back. If she had shot back, maybe she could have made a veiled reference to Sasha Banks being so sick of Bailey that she left her. Something along those lines, it would have reached mm-hmm. another level of intensity. Probably put it over the top. But I did think we got solid storytelling. The intensity, as I said, improved. And we have a specific reason, not just for the match to take place, but for it to happen in Orlando. So that's clearly good. Yes, definitely a good one. Other line, I don't think you, I don't think you recounted it. But Becky says, um, talking about excuses, and says excuses is why we didn't have a cage match. And oh, that I missed phrasing, that. It, that that phrasing was, it wasn't. She Becky didn't say you didn't fight me. She said we didn't have a cage match. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a little little shot at uh, it getting canceled last week. Uh, which was fair. So I was glad she kind of made that little reference as, as well. But yeah, this was, was definitely a good. Um, and yeah, and, and now there's more stakes to this match too because of the Elimination Chamber uh, situation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because uh didn't register with me the first time. Uh, Pierce announced the final four of the Women's Rumble besides Ripley, Raquel Rodriguez, Liv Morgan, Nikki Cross, and Asuka would be in the Women's Elimination Chamber match with two open spots remaining. One of those spots will be filled in a fatal four-way next week with Meechin, Candice, Piper Niven, and Carmella, who made her return to WWE after a very serious personal uh, medical situation, which you can read about online. We're not going to discuss here, even though she has made it public. Uh, Mella later in the show cut a promo back as the princess of Staten Island when Asuka came up to her dressed in a gold suit. And then she smiles and her teeth are green and mist starts drooling out of her mouth. Oh my Lord. This was so great with Asuka and Mella. First, they're both back to what they do best. Anyone who has listened to my old shows knows that suited Asuka is my top tier version of Asuka and maybe my all-time favorite version of any women's wrestler. Mix that with murder clown Kana and holy shit, this is a new era for her. Insanely exciting. What's also great about this booking is that Becky and Bailey seemingly are not going to be in the chamber match. We're getting mostly newer or underutilized, underfeatured talent that need the stage. Asuka and Raquel, I think, have to be the early favorites going in, but I loved what we got with this on Monday night. Props to Adam Pierce for doing his best impression of Excalibur, having to explain all of that. I don't <laughs> think that I don't I don't think that was the ideal way to do it, but he did the best with what he was presented with there. Um, good to see Carmella back. I, I think she's she's really good and really solid, and and um, you know looked great and everything. And Oscar, I love not only is like Oscar in a suit and stuff like that, but she doesn't have like the stuff on her eyes anymore. I felt like, you know, we'd had that for a while. Way more normal. I watch, makeup, and I, yeah. watch, I watch old rumbles and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot Asuka like without any paint on her face, what she looks like. And it's, it's, it's a great look. And so that was, it was cool to see that back as well. So really excited about what all of this is. And it seems like they have some pretty good plans for Asuka 
And that's exciting. And not for nothing. I mean, this is not how we judge women's wrestlers, just like it's not how we judge men's wrestlers. But she's beautiful, Asuka is, like without the face yes. paint and all that. It's like, that's it's like when saying, you have yeah. Santos Escobar, you put him behind a, a luchador mask like he had in uh, in Mexico. He was wrestling all those years. Like, why was this guy wearing a mask? He has such a great looking face. Asuka is a great looking woman. And yes, you, re- you remember that. And she looks younger without the, the face paint also. Like everything about her just seems completely refreshed and revitalized. And again, Asuka in NXT, suited, dominant Asuka. Then you add the murder clown Kana aspect to the entire thing. I love that she's only wearing the face paint seemingly in matches or maybe only in big matches. And she's otherwise going to look like this. God, it's just such a great difference. I'm so psyched for her. And the response that she got at the Royal Rumble, I really hope they go with that and we get Bianca Belair heal Asuka at WrestleMania. Whether Asuka wins or doesn't win, it'll be a great match. I just really hope that's the direction they're going. In terms of the sixth spot here, I would love to see Shotzi or if not Shotzi, a returning Naomi in that final spot. Shotzi for the craziness, Naomi for the fan service. I just have, Chris, a sinking feeling it might be Ronda Rousey. Ronda, Becky, I am not excited about that. Ronda Bianca, you mean? The road we go down. Yeah, Ronda Bianca uh, down the road. Uh, Yeah. I just have a weird feeling. Yeah. Yeah. After Pierce made his announcement, Chelsea Green approached him asking if he was the manager in charge. She complained about her dressing room accommodations, clearly doing a Karen gimmick. This is what I was talking about with the Rumble elimination playing into her character. No grade. It was quick. I'm just glad they got her on TV right away. Yeah, it, it was something. And, you know, she makes an appearance. You got to follow it up. And that and they did. So that was good. And another ungraded thing, just wrapping up the women, it's worth noting they announced an appearance from Bianca Belair in hour three and just never did it. I presume it was cut for time. There was a lot shoved into this Raw, but not seeing the women's champion or even Alexa Bliss coming out of what was already a match cut short for time at the Royal Rumble. It was just immensely disappointing. Yeah, I don't know exactly what you cut in this show necessarily, but uh, yeah, would have liked another follow up to that as well. On SmackDown, we had Rey Mysterio against Karrion Cross. Scarlet tripped Rey on a 619, so he flipped Cross to the other side and hit the 619 sequence, only for Cross to kick out in a false finish. Cross hit a fisherman suplex, but when he rolled through, Mysterio caught him with a crucifix pinning combination for the 1-2-3. It came a little bit more sudden than expected, but given Rey is likely going to fight Dominic in some way at WrestleMania, he had to get at least one win over Cross. We'll probably get a rematch, I guess, in February. And Cross, if he wins one over Ray, especially if Dominic interferes, that would be fine. He just couldn't win both. The wrestling was okay. Uh, two other items here. First, Ray was legitimately injured in the match. That's why he was out of the Royal Rumble. It was not planned for him not to appear in that spot. Second, the IWC reaction that the Cross experiment has failed because he lost to freaking Ray Mysterio is the height of absurdity. Ray is a legend. He's a future Hall of Famer. Beyond that, No one said Cross was hired to necessarily be a world champion. We've always looked at him as a guy who from NXT into the main roster would be an upper mid Carter who can probably compete for the main title occasionally, but whose ceiling is the mid card, probably a U.S. title run or an intercontinental title run. And that's the way he's being booked. I see nothing wrong with that. So for the match, the booking, everything, it was good. Yep, I I agree on all points. All right, uh, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus fought Hit Row. This was another uh, tag team tournament match. I believe 
it was a semifinal. Yes, it has to be. Uh, the Banger Bros yep. name was dropped for the Faces, who did the same backstage segment they have for weeks. The Viking Raiders attacked on the ramp and destroyed them into the barricade. WWE did that stupid thing with the fake static noise on the video board when Ivar ran into it. I just hate that so much. McIntyre and Sheamus stormed backstage to find the Raiders. So Pierce told Hit Row, no one gets a free pass. Then he introduced Braun Strowman and Ricochet as the replacements. Strowman and Ricochet and Hit Row, they all fought. Braun got the hot tag. Ricochet threw himself over the ropes as Braun hit the monster bomb on Ashanti Viadonis for the win. Now, I was heavily critical of McIntyre and Sheamus against the Raiders being a first round match last week. Now we understand why it was booked that way, even if it remains nonsensical from like a tournament seating <laughs> standpoint. I've enjoyed Strowman and Ricochet working together. The fans certainly pop for them separately and together. They work together in the Rumble, so they were a legitimate, worthy replacement. I also like them as potential in-between challengers for the Usos if they win at all. So despite some of my issues with this, this was good. Yeah, it was convoluted, but I enjoyed what we got. Um, so I, I, I'll give it a like good. We still have issues with some of the other things, as we said, but in the end, it, it ain't bad. Legato Del Fantasma fought Imperium in the other semifinal. Wild hit a great tornado DDT off the middle rope. Del Toro had a fantastic hot tag with the crowd getting really amped up for Legato. Del Toro caught Giovanni Vinci with a springboard Huracarana. Vinci came back by literally press slamming Wild with both standing on the top rope in an insane spot. He sold a knee on the landing and it may have been real because Ludwig Kaiser delayed the Imperial Bomb to check that Giovanni could actually execute it, but they did hit it with Imperium surviving and advancing and Kaiser looked fine at the Royal Rumble. Uh, this, sorry, it was Kaiser who got injured, not Vinci. Uh, this was a blast. The crowd was all in on Legato. It told me that it's time to turn them face, get the Legato chant going. Vinci's knee injury, or it was Vinci. I don't know why I keep going back and forth here. Vinci's knee injury was obviously concerning, but he ultimately seemed okay. This was likely the best match of the entire tournament. I went four stars and an A minus. I thought it was that good. Yeah, this was a banger of a match. I, I loved it. I agree on the point about Legato being faces at some point. Um, and yeah, this was, you know, this these are two tag teams who are kind of overshadowed by the leader of their group. Uh, so I was glad they got to show out and, and look good. The Miz hit the ring, airing his grievances from the Royal Rumble, demanding to be treated with respect and wanting a chance at the chamber. Pierce cut him off, saying there was someone else who wanted an opportunity, and he introduced Rick Boogs, who returned for the first time in 300 days. He was wearing a plain black singlet with tassels on his boots, doing a, his very old air guitar gimmick from NXT. Miz argued as he was wearing a $10,000 suit he didn't want to wrestle, but Pierce brought down a referee and Boogs hit a press version of the World's Strongest Slam for the win. Later backstage, Boogs was so excited to return that he screamed. The Street Profits put him over, but Elias was skeptical. Turns out those three plus Priest will be in chamber qualifying matches next week. Now, Boogs got a nice reaction, but I gotta say, and let me preface this by reminding all of you, I absolutely love Boogs. The in-ring segment was awful. The air guitar deal is a go-nowhere gimmick. It was a go-nowhere gimmick in NXT. Fans loved him with Shinsuke as someone who actually shredded. I'm not saying he had to come back with Shinsuke, but comparing it apples to apples, this was a far worse presentation in nearly every single way. I was at ugly here because he looked just like an absolute idiot in the ring, but the backstage segment for me saved it a little bit 
bringing it to just bad, seeing him interact with the Prophets, the Prophets kind of buying into his craziness. Plus, I'm excited to see both Prophets get chamber matches next week and both of them be excited to go after the United States Championship. So there were some positives mixed into it, but the Boogs thing on its own was ugly. In totality, though, I'm going to settle it bad. Agree. I go for bad, like I mentioned before. Like the air guitar is especially terrible when we know he can play the real guitar very mm-hmm. well. Like that's mm-hmm. a, that's what we want. I what I would have done again if not if 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 they were if they were available for the rumble. You have Boogs do Nakamura's entrance for the rumble. Oh man, Boogs is back, and then he comes out on Monday. Maybe doing a he can be on his own after that. But to bring him back with Nakamura, the thing that we loved when he went away before you spin him off into something else whatever that uh, may be overall though. Good to see him back. Hated to see that injury at WrestleMania last year. Um, but what we got on Monday is, is not going to work. Let's not forget. Not every single thing Vince McMahon booked was bad. Some things did mm-hmm. work and were good. And Boogs and Nakamura Boogs in particular worked. Okay. So like it felt like change because triple H didn't want him to have the Vince touch on him or whatever the case might be. A rare, a rare miss, I would say. Just something that was completely unnecessary to do to, to change the look, change the gimmick, the whole deal. The guy came back. We should be excited. We shouldn't be putting it down. Speaking of comebacks, Chris, Lacey Evans fought Jasmine Allure, a local jobber on SmackDown. Lacey actually got some heat in the match. The sole of her boot popped off, so she threatened to use it, but she quickly hit the women's right and then lifted Allure into the Cobra Clutch for the submission win. After the bell, she got even more heat, saying the Cobra Clutch is unbreakable and demanding the loser fans salute her. It was very much a heel Sergeant Slaughter character, but you can't deny she got a reaction. It was easily her best presentation in her WWE career. I have no idea whether this is going to work. I'm giving it a provisional good just because it wasn't bad by any means, but I'm going to need to see her play off of someone else to know whether it actually will work. Yeah, she's a she's a solid heel. She always has been, even though they've flip-flopped a lot. This is encouraging start. I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, she did the fake high five to a, a fan and to a little kid in the crowd who uh, had some stuff going on. And there was a lot of didn't know if she did that on purpose or not. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure ultimately, about that. I hope, yeah. Ultimately, I hope, you know, everything was good with the kid and everything. But like, you know, she's a heel. And, you know, as long as she's doing heel things, it's a step forward. Yeah. And I I don't want to overlook this because we did a little bit in the Boogs situation, but I'm very happy the Street Profits are going after the United States Championship, getting singles opportunities. This is what we talked about. They don't need to break up to have their own singles aspirations. And the fact that it seems like they're staying together and both going to be able to go after the title uh, in these qualifying matches, I assume one of them will win, probably Montez Ford, and get into Elimination Chamber. That's really exciting because they're not being used as a tag team right now. They're giving them something to do and they're both shining. Agree. Completely agree. Now, wrapping up on the show, we are going to introduce a brand new segment called The Last Word. We will share one question from a getting overhead per week. It can be about wrestling, sports, entertainment, pop culture, whatever the hell you want to ask us, we will answer in this segment. It just, we don't want it to be a general question about an active storyline because we will talk about those in the rest of the show. Something unique and fun, you ask, and we answer before we sign off, Chris. So the first edition of The Last Word comes from Timothy Hernandez at T-T-I-M-H-Z-Z. Seriously, how much would you be willing to pay 
to be in the crowd for Elimination Chamber in Montreal. That crowd will be incredible. So this was actually a topic of conversation, ticket prices that went down on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast yesterday. And I realized I have not bought a ticket to a wrestling event since 2012. And I really don't think I've bought a ticket to anything, wrestling, sports, or a concert in the last decade. I'm being serious. Like I've had season tickets for the Miami Dolphins and, you know, that transpired around that time. I still had them, I think then, but I don't think I've like gone on Ticketmaster or gone anywhere else and bought tickets. So in my head, I don't really know what prices for things are. So I'm going to just give you a number that I would be willing to spend from a monetary standpoint to be in the crowd at Elimination Chamber in Montreal for good seats like risers on the floor or lower level seats that have good viewing angle. I'd probably go somewhere between $200 and $300, especially if the main event is indeed Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn. I think that's what I paid for WrestleMania tickets for lower for uh, floor risers in 2012. Now, I don't know how that equates to today. And I, like I said, I don't know what ticket prices are going to be for this show. Maybe once I look at the chart, I'll have a better answer. But I would pay $200 to $300 for very good but not great tickets for the Elimination Chamber. Well, lucky for you, I have uh, I pulled it up while you were talking on okay. uh, SeatGeek and tickets well, see, for lower Seat level. Geek are now are now second market tickets. Right. But I'm just, okay. they also they work with WWE on, on a lot of the stuff. Like when I got WrestleMania tickets through official them, you know, they, they sometimes go on sale first. I'm just saying these are not the so, base level prices. These are secondary market right. prices. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yes. And it is indeed in about that range you said. It's about 180 to to 300. Okay. You know, in that lower level, depending on where you're at. Upper deck is mostly in the 100 to 150, um, depending on, on, on exactly where you're at. So not as high okay. as maybe I expected. That is surprising. Um, I would totally pay that price to get a good lower level ticket with a yeah. great view of the ring. 100% I'd pay that. Yeah, I think I paid about 200 to 300 for each night of WrestleMania last year. And where were your tickets? Um, so we were second level in the football stadium. So not not, so the, like, not the floor, okay. not the floor, not the first level of the seats, the second level. So you paid seats. what I paid 10 years ago for floor risers at WrestleMania in Miami, yes. basically. And that turned out to be a good deal because they never got cheaper than that. As, as right. You know, I bought those in like November and Mania came around. And so uh, and, you know, WrestleMania this year's sold out already. So mm -hmm. tickets are going pretty hot. And uh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't include hotel and travel and stuff like that, which would be a whole nother issue. But Montreal, man, Montreal is an awesome, awesome city. I can tell you that when uh, when the, the Montreal Expos left Major League Baseball, a lot of people across baseball were sad they couldn't go to Montreal anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so if, if anybody is going, uh, you'll have a great time. So what's your range? You would pay those prices is basically what you're saying? Yeah, about, about 200. I, I would do about 200, 300 to lower level. I probably personally would end up just getting upper level for about 100, 150. Um, if I personally went, just oh, if I, I was choosing. Do that. But, but, that's about, but that's about the range. I, I've said upper level for wrestling. I'll never do it. I'll never do it again. It's just not worth it for me to go to the show, pay that kind of money, just to be there and not be close enough to really be immersed in the action. And for me, 100 level, club level maybe, that's the highest I would go. Uh, but we're in the same range. So very interesting, good topic for the first edition of The Last Word. If you want to submit questions 
for the last word in future editions of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. You can DM us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can tweet us as well at Getting Overcast. You can also email us gettingoverpod at gmail.com. So we hope you enjoyed the new segment. We'd love some feedback to make sure that you guys want this on a weekly basis. And that is how we wrap up this 400th edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We appreciate all of you joining us once again. As I mentioned, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Also, do not forget that this show is So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. If you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live here on the show. As you heard earlier, Chris, thank you for being with me for the vast majority of these 400 episodes of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Thursday with your NXT Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview and AEW show. So do not miss our episode on Thursday. And of course, we will be back one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel with your next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. At this time, the Silver King is going to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.